Thank you, brother. Y'all let these folks know how much you appreciate them leading us in worship this morning. Great, great opportunity to worship Jesus Christ. There are many messages that have influenced uh, many people. Matter of fact, if you just think back through our history, you and I know some messages that have literally changed the country. We've got the message from Martin Luther King Jr., I Have a Dream. You also have messages from like uh, John F. Kennedy who said, ask not what you can do for, or your country can do for you. I can't remember the speech, y'all with me, but what you can do for your country. And then there is a message that not only changes a nation, but one that actually has the ability to change the entire world. And that's the message that you and I are actually going to look at this morning in the book of Acts. So if you got your Bible this morning, Acts chapter 2, verses 22 through 24 will actually be our text today. And as you're opening up your Bibles, I just want you to imagine for a moment that you were there. 40 days after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Bible says that each one of those days, Jesus was walking upon the earth and he was displaying himself as alive with many convincing proofs to those who were around him. He showed himself to his disciples. He also showed himself to over 500 people at one time, says Paul the Apostle. In fact, there are actually extra biblical accounts of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. But Jesus is walking there, and imagine you're one of those disciples and you are with him. You're overwhelmed by the radiance of his glory. You're listening intently to every single word that he speaks. And Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven. And then Jesus also goes on to say to you, as well as I, literally, that the Helper, the Holy Spirit, is going to come. He has been with you, Jesus says, but now he is going to be in you, and you are going to testify of me. And then you begin to remember while you were with Jesus before his death, that Jesus used to say stuff like this, it's going to be better when I go away. Because whenever I go away, then the Father can send the Helper, the Holy Spirit, and He will guide you and remind you of all the things that I have taught to you. And so now if you consider for just a moment, you standing there with Jesus, and you get a glimpse at the only thing man-made that is in heaven, the nail scars. You see them in His hands, you see them in His feet, you also see that wound in His side. Uh, You see the glory emanating from the Son of God. You see compassion and love and grace flowing from his eyes as he looks directly at you, as he looks at me as well. And then he says with a voice of authority, Behold, the Spirit of God is going to come upon you. And he will give you power to be my witnesses. Right here in Jerusalem, then in Judea, then in Samaria, and even to the uttermost parts of the earth. And then we stand there overwhelmed by the resurrected Jesus Christ when all of a sudden something happens that we have never seen before and have not seen since. This Jesus begins to levitate off the ground. And as if he is on an indivisible elevator, he is literally floating up into the clouds, and then he completely disappears as he ushers into heaven. And you and I stand there, right? Our arms are like this. We're looking up. We're overwhelmed. Nobody can say a word. I mean, what, what could you say? Or really, what would you say? And as we stand there in absolute amazement, two men dressed in white shining robes come and tap you on the shoulder and say, what are you doing? 
Why are you looking up into the sky? This same Jesus who went away in the sky will one day come again. Go and tell. So you, as a disciple, gather with the other disciples and about 120 of you get together in this place we call the upper room and we're praying and we're seeking the Lord and then all of a sudden something miraculous occurs like wind flowing through the windows into the room where we are all down on our knees in prayer. You feel the brush of that wind across your face. And then in that moment, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in your heart and in your life. And for the first time, you've got this overwhelming, burning passion deep down on the inside. And you want to stand up and tell not just somebody, but everybody about the resurrected King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And you stand along with many others, as the Bible says, and you begin to declare who Jesus is. And everybody in Jerusalem who had traveled in from all different portions of the planet, who spoke different languages, actually heard the gospel message of Jesus in their own language. And the people begin to point at you. They point at me. Do you imagine we're there? We're still bold and confident, still preaching. And then all of a sudden, Peter... You remember him, right, Peter, the one who denied Jesus three times before his crucifixion. This Peter who ran away from a little girl who said, weren't you with Christ? And he said, no, 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 not me. And he cussed her and he ran. This same Peter stands up now, totally changed, filled with the Holy Spirit, bold as a lion. And he delivers a message that has literally changed the world and continues to do so today. Let's look at a portion of that message this morning. Acts chapter two, verse 22. Stand with me out of God's word this morning. You've got it there in front of you, say yes. So imagine Peter standing next to you and he starts preaching. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst. Just as you yourselves know, this man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men, and you put him to death. And then verse 24, don't you love this message? But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. Let's bow together. Father, we do thank you so much for your divine word. And we ask that you would speak truth to our hearts from a very simple yet profound message. And I pray that you would give me boldness and courage to deliver this message as you so desire. God, I pray that you would bring people to yourself. We'll give you glory for it just as you did last hour. We trust you will this hour as well. And it's in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray. And everybody said, amen. So go ahead and be seated. It's pretty amazing when you read Acts chapter 2 because it is the first message recorded in the New Testament church. And it was a short one. I mean, he preached for about 10 minutes long. Uh, we've come a long way. Can I get a witness on that, right? So the messages are a little bit lengthier today. But my man Peter preached for 10 minutes and then all the people were so overwhelmed by the power and the gravity and the weight of the message that they cried out to him, what must we do? 
And it's just in those three short verses that you and I discover what God's message to the entire world really is. And so this morning, if you want to fill in your listening guide, I'm going to give you three things that we learn about God from this text of Scripture. First of all, I want you to see that God the Father publicly declared Jesus to be his son. God the Father publicly declared Jesus to be his son. Now, how did he do that? Well, in verse 22, the Bible says, Jesus, the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God, which by the way, that little word attested speaks of demonstrating something as being absolutely true. And that's what God the Father did. He demonstrated the reality of Jesus being his son as absolutely true for everyone to see it. Now, how did he do this? How did he display Christ as his son? Well, Peter says, through miracles and signs and wonders which God performed through him. Now this morning, if we just take a quick little glance at the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ and maybe skip a rock across the New Testament, we become overwhelmed by the miracles and the signs and the wonders that we see from the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. Think with me for just a moment about what Jesus could do with water. Jesus was hanging out with his mother at a particular wedding in Cana. And it was at this wedding that they actually began to run out of wine, which was a massive deal to anyone who was throwing a wedding. So they were overcome with worry and anxiety. They came to Jesus and Mary, his mother, simply told the people, whatever he says to do, you do it. And so Jesus walks in and he tells the head waiter, take all of these water pots and fill them to the top with water. And so that's what they do. They fill it up with water. And then before you know it, Jesus says, now I want you to take this and I want you to serve it to everybody who is present. And so Jesus goes and he watches as the waiters begin to pour that water out of those jars and immediately that water began to turn into wine. You see, Jesus performed his very first miracle at the wedding of Cana. But think about the disciples. He not only could turn water into wine, but the disciples on one occasion were in a boat out on the water. And it was nighttime and the fog was setting in and they peered out into the distance and they thought that they had seen a ghost. But it was not a ghost. It was the Lord Jesus Christ right there walking upon the water. Think about Jesus as well. One day he's taking a nap in probably the same boat and they are in a lake and all of a sudden a massive storm comes. And as that storm comes, the waters begin to bash against the side of the boat and the disciples feared for their life. And as the lightning crashed and the thunder rolled, they begin to ask, where is Jesus? Jesus was there snoozing, taking a nap. They wake him up. Jesus, don't you care that we are just about to die? And then Jesus stands on the very front of that boat with authority in his voice. He speaks to both the winds and the waves and says, be still. And they grow calm. And it's amazing because the disciples at that moment said, who is this? that even the winds and the waves would obey him. They were overwhelmed by what Jesus could do with water. But you know, Jesus did not confine everything just to water. Jesus also worked, performed miracles with bread and fish. On one occasion, the disciples and Peter and Jesus, they were all going to the temple and Peter realized he did not have a temple tax. And so Jesus tells Peter, how about just throw a line out in the water and catch a fish? And so Peter does just that. He pulls the fish in and then Jesus says, why don't you open up his mouth? And Peter opens his mouth and inside the fish were coins sufficient to pay the exact amount of the temple tax. 
And then who can forget Jesus sitting on the side of a mountain where 5,000 men plus their wives and their children were all standing there overwhelmed and amazed as Jesus preached the kingdom of God. And as they listened to him preach, by the way, he preached longer than 10 minutes. Can I get a witness on that? He preached for quite some time into the evening and the people became hungry and the disciples says, we've got to send them all away. We can't feed all of these people. And then one of the disciples comes and says, here's all we have, Jesus. We found a little boy over here with a snack lunch. He's got some bread in it and he's also got some fish. Then the Bible says Jesus took the bread and the fish and he prayed over them, blessed the Father. And then they began to disperse. Every single person present, over 5,000 that day, were fed until they were full and there were 12 baskets of food left over. See, Jesus was performing miracles and even through this miracle, God himself was attesting to the people that this is my son. In fact, if you just consider for a moment the Old Testament, the Israelites are wandering in the wilderness. And yet every single day, every single morning, whenever they would wake up, God the Father chose to supply for them manna, which was a type of bread right there on the ground. So every single day they were taken care of. Don't you know that that story rushed through the minds of those sitting on the side of the hill when Jesus took that bread and began to feed absolutely every single person? He was displaying himself to be God the Son. Now, Jesus performed miracles with water. He performed miracles with bread. He performed miracles with fish. Those are only a few that I share with you. But Jesus also performed great miracles in the presence of other people. He would minister to those who were in need. On one occasion, he ran across a blind man. Jesus, the Bible says, spit in the mud, took the mud and his own saliva, mixed it up, wiped it on the man's eyes and told him to wash his eyes. And as soon as he washed his eyes, the man could see. Imagine if you were the blind man, your entire life, all you have been able to see is darkness. And yet in an instant, when you came to meet the Lord Jesus Christ, your eyes were open and you saw the sun for the very first time. You saw the moon for the very first time. You saw your wife, your family for the very first time. You would be overwhelmed with joy. So overwhelmed with joy that this man actually gave testimony of Jesus Christ. He says, I don't know who the man is, but I will tell you this. I was once blind, but now I can see. And then remember Jesus on one occasion was inside a home and everybody had pressed in. You couldn't get in to see Jesus. And yet there were four men who brought their lame friend. They wanted him to be healed. He could not walk. They had no idea what to do. So they climbed on top of the house, dug a hole in the roof, dropped that individual right before the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus touched him and the man got up, picked up his pallet and ran out. I like to think he may have done a jig too. Y'all with me? It's amazing how the Lord totally transforms people when he comes into contact with them. He not only touched those who were blind and those who could not walk, but he also touched those who could not hear. Imagine if you were born without the ability to hear a single sound. You would grow up your entire life never hearing your mother speak to you tenderly. You'd grow up your entire life never hearing your father yell at you. Can I? That's all right though, isn't it? You would grow up your entire life. You would have never heard a thing, but then all of a sudden you met Jesus and he reached up and he touched your ears. And in a moment, for the first time, a flood of sound began to overwhelm you, tears streaming from your face for the very first time you could hear. See, it's amazing what Jesus does when he comes into contact with people. Jesus changes people. But can I tell you, he not only changed those who were living, he also ministered to those who were dead. 
Jesus, on one occasion, had a whole big crowd hanging out with him. He entered into this brand new town that he had not entered before. They were going to share uh, about the kingdom of heaven. And as he entered, there was another large crowd. This large crowd, though, was in a much different somber tone than they were. They went in rejoicing, but this crowd was weeping and mourning. The reason they were weeping and mourning was because there was a widow in that town and her son had just died. They were overwhelmed with grief and many of them walked the streets and you can picture it there as they would hoist that particular coffin up with the little boy in it and they would walk the streets and they would weep and mourn, weep and mourn, weep and mourn and then Jesus comes. And Jesus, the Bible says in Luke's gospel, reached out and touched the side of that young boy's uh, pallet and he said, get up. And the young boy got up and he was alive. You see, it is amazing what happens when Jesus meets people. Jesus not only did that with a widow's son, but he also did that with Jairus' daughter. He spoke life into her, and she was once again alive. See, whenever you and I are looking at the life and the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, what we know according to Peter is that God himself, the Father, the creator of heaven and earth, was actually attesting to you and I that Jesus was indeed the Son of God. There's another truth. As we continue to kind of make our way through this passage of Scripture, we notice that God the Father lovingly handed his Son over to be executed. He lovingly handed this son over to be executed. Look again in your Bible at verse 23. The Bible says, this man, speaking about Jesus, now notice this phrase right here, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. Now I bought an eyeball for just a moment because this is huge. This verse teaches you and I that God is not confined to time or space. He is not like you or I. He is not, as a matter of fact, I'll give it to you this way. If you and I went to a parade, we would see one float at a time as it went by us. But God the Father has the ability to stand up over the parade and see the whole thing as one event. And God in his sovereignty, standing outside of time, predetermined by his own foreknowledge to send his son to die upon the cross at Calvary for our sin. And might I say to you, he did this before sin ever entered into the picture. Think about it. The Bible says that Jesus was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. You see, God the Father saw the disease of humanity He saw what we would experience long before the very first sin was ever even committed. He saw the breaking of his moral law occur in your life and my life long before we ever took our first breath. He saw the lust of our heart that would eat away at our souls. He saw all of that before we ever had a heart to beat at the first time. Matter of fact, he saw all the anger and the hatred uh, we would experience long before our brains began to function. He saw the lies that we would tell long before we ever had tongues in which to tell them. Matter of fact, he saw that we would turn our back on his holiness in rebellion long before our spines were knit together in our mother's womb. He saw the things we would steal long before we ever had the ability to reach out and grab those things. See, before you and I had a sin problem, God had a sin solution. He could not overlook our sin. He's not going to overlook your sin. He's not going to overlook my sin. If he just brushed over it, he would be unholy. He also would be unjust. 
So the Bible declares to you and I that we must punished, be punished for our sins. That's why God the Father, before the foundation of the world, determined to give his son over as a sacrifice for our sins on the cross at Calvary. He had to punish sin, and so God sent his son to be executed on your behalf and on my behalf. You see, godless men hammering nails into the hands and the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ was not a spoiled plan. It was actually, actually an executed plan by God the Father. Raising him high upon the cross to die a cruel death was not a picture of God's dissatisfaction in his son, but rather a depiction of his holy justice being satisfied. See, in his great love towards humanity, in his great love towards you, towards myself, God the Father chose to pour out his just wrath against sin on his own son at the cross of Calvary. He died as your substitute. He died as my substitute. He died in our place. And there on the cross, Peter writes about it in 1 Peter 3 and 18, Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. See, God so desired to have a relationship with you. He so desired for you to know him as your father that he chose willingly to offer up his son to be crucified. That's why we sing the song, thank you for the cross, Lord. Thank you for the price that you have paid, bearing all my sin and shame. In love you came and gave amazing grace. You see, God displayed Jesus as his son. But this text also tells us very simply that God lovingly gave his son over to be executed by his predetermined plan. And then this text tells us very simply that God the Father raised his son up from the dead. Look at verse 24 in your Bible. The scripture says, God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. Y'all see this here? Are y'all listening say yes? Because this right here is legit, all right? This is teaching you and I something about death. I love it. He says, death was impossible to hold the Lord Jesus Christ. It's pretty amazing because as I studied that little word impossible, I actually ran across a synonym for it in the Greek New Testament, which is the word incompetent. Think about that for just a moment. If you have a job and you've got people who work around you, you probably know some of them that don't really have the skill set to be doing what they're doing. So people may actually declare them to be incompetent. They just can't do it. Well, imagine the scene. Death grabbed hold of Jesus and took him all the way into a tomb. But death did not have the necessary skills to keep him there. Death was incompetent. And by the divine power of Almighty God, God raised Jesus Christ up from the dead. And the resurrection of Jesus this morning proves to you and I that the offering of Jesus on the cross at Calvary was accepted by God the Father. Now think about this, eyeball to eyeball. If Jesus were still in the tomb today, there will be no reason for us to be here. Think about this, if Jesus did not get up from the dead, he would have been among the thousands of people that Roman soldiers crucified. They were always putting people on the cross, but what made Jesus stand out is that he got up from the dead. 
And whenever he gets up from the dead, he affirms every single thing that he ever said and every single thing that he ever did. And what's amazing, some of you listened to some of the stories that I shared with you about Jesus, about how they caught a fish and grabbed out two coins, about how Jesus touched a widow's son and he came alive. And you thought, man, that can't be true. Oh, yes, it is. I would, I would go to the bank with you and say it can't be true either, but Jesus got up from the dead. His resurrection affirms and authenticates every single thing that he ever did. Jesus is God's son. Jesus died to pay for your sin. Jesus was raised again. I remember sitting at Moe's restaurant in Smyrna, Georgia. Y'all, any fans of Moe's in the house here? God bless all three of you. I was sitting there with a buddy of mine who grew up in church. And uh, we used to hang out a little bit in high school as well. I wasn't sure about his salvation. And so I began to ask him about whether or not he had a personal relationship with Jesus. In fact, if I remember correctly, I used the question, hey man, if you were to die right now and stand before God, and God said, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say to him? And his response was pretty simple, and I hear it often. He says, oh, man, I would just tell him I've been in church all my life. I was baptized when I was a young kid. I, you know, I try to be a good husband. I try to be a good father. He began to go through all of these things that he thinks he has done to impress God. Matter of fact, he began to talk about how he wasn't near as bad a sinner as other people were. Think about this for just a moment. If you take a sheep and you put that sheep on a green pasture, that sheep will look dazzling white. But you let a massive snowfall come right where that same sheep is, and all of a sudden that sheep doesn't look so white anymore. The spots begin to show clearly. When you compare yourself to other people, of course you turn out all right. You always find the worst one to compare yourself to anyway. But when you are compared to the royal, righteous holiness of Jesus the spots show up, and they are so clear. And I remember talking with my friend at Moe's restaurant and beginning to share with him about how he was a sinner, how I was a sinner, all of this over a burrito, y'all with me, amen? And so here I am, I'm sharing with him. I say, hey man, you have told lies before. I've told lies before. Uh, you've stole things before. I've stole things before. I even began to talk with him about how I remember when I was only uh, 14 or 15, we would actually ride, he was older than me, so he would drive us home from school and they would stop off at a convenience store and I would go into the convenience store and I would steal snacks and I would rush them back out into the car and then we would just go crazy on moon pies. I don't do that anymore except on Saturdays, but we've got a, but I share with him how we were all sinners. And I told him, man, if you have anger in your heart, it's considered murder in God's courtroom because that's the seed of murder. If you look at a woman with lust in your heart, it's considered adultery and you're going to stand and die before God. And you're going to have all of this sin on your conscience and on your life. Do you think telling God in that moment, I'm a pretty good guy is going to be sufficient? I remember in that moment, the weight of the reality of his sin began to crush him. It's almost like his entire demeanor changed. He looked directly down, he hunched over, and it was like a burden of weight came upon his shoulders. And as he sat there, I said, well, listen, listen, man, I've got great news for you. <laughs> and then I began to share with him Jesus on the cross. See, God the Father was treating Jesus, and I pointed at him, 
as if he had committed every single one of your sins. You should die for them, but Jesus died for you. He was buried and resurrected. And listen, I remember whenever I began to share this, and this is a guy who grew up in church all of his life. He was baptized when he was little, but none of those things are sufficient to save you from your sin. And for the first time, his eyes opened up, and I could tell he was overwhelmed. When Peter preached, the people listened and said, what are we supposed to do? The reality of their sin so heavy upon their conscience and heart caused them to fall down upon their knees. What are we supposed to do? And Peter says, you repent. You turn from your sin and you trust this same Jesus that your sin nailed to the cross. And you believe in his resurrection and you choose to follow him today and all your sin will be forgiven. It's not by what you do, it's all by what he has done that you can be forgiven. <laughs> so, I bought an eyeball here for a second. Y'all listening, say yeah? I shared that was like seven of you. Are all of y'all listening, say yeah? So I shared that with my buddy who had already told me he thought he is good enough to go to heaven. And I told him to repent. I didn't say it as loud as I just did a minute ago. Y'all with me? But I said, you got to repent and place your trust in Jesus. And the entire time, even though I could see the weight of the sin, even though I could see his eyes open up when all of a sudden it became clear what Jesus had actually done for him, even though I saw all of those reactions, he still would not turn. No response. What will happen to a person who listens to it all still will not turn? The Bible says very plainly, that person who has rejected Jesus who died for their sin, that person who has rejected Jesus who was raised up from the dead by the Father, that person who has rejected Jesus will be rejected by Jesus when they see him. And you will see him. Everybody look at me eyeball to eyeball. You will see Christ. Everybody. And if you stand there with your little, uh, I've been in church a good bunch of times. I went on Easter. I was baptized. uh, Jesus, I've done this. I've done. If you stand there with that mess, you're going to find condemnation and eternal separation from God in hell. And I know hell isn't a massively popular subject today, but there is one, and there are many going there because they reject Christ. And Jesus, just kind of this story out there. I, I hear you. Yeah, I believe that. Yeah, I believe that. Yeah. No, you don't. If you believe that, it would change every single thing that you do in this life. It would change how you view things. It would change how your heart beats. It would change how you talk, how you walk. Every single thing in you would change. And you would have a desire to glorify God. If you lack that desire, there's a problem. This Jesus is not just some story that happened over 2,000 years ago. This resurrected Jesus is still offering redemption today. And what must you do? 
What must you do? What must you do? Repent. <laughs> Turn from your sin and trust Jesus. And some of you need to do it now. Just have heads bowed, eyes closed, nobody looking around this morning. Please don't be like my friend at Moe's who rolled out even though the gospel was shared. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed this morning. Some of you need to repent, give your life to Jesus. And some of you probably are saying some of the same things my friends say. Well, I've been to church, I was baptized, I've been. Listen, Jesus has come that you might have a personal relationship with him. Not so you can do some religious activities. Jesus uh, is not part of your life. Jesus is your life when you come to faith in him. So I want to encourage you this morning. If you need to give your life to Jesus, just pray something like this in your heart as I pray out loud. Just say, God, I know I'm a sinner. There's nothing I can do to be saved. I can't get rid of my sin by religious duties or by being a good person. I realized that this morning. I realized I deserve punishment for my sin. But today I am turning from sin and placing my full trust in you. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for me personally. Thank you for the resurrection. Now help me to live a life that honors you and that is unashamed of you. Help me to start that even today. Your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed. Nobody's looking around right now uh, except for me. And um, if you're here today and you say, Levi, I just prayed with you to give my life to Jesus. You may be a guest of ours, maybe a longtime member here. But if you say, Levi, I just prayed with you. I want to encourage you. Would you just look up and make eye contact with me? I just want to talk to you for a second because I want to be praying for you. It takes me a minute to get all the way through. So if you just prayed with me to give your life to Christ, just look real hard. Look real hard. God bless you. Just continue to look. Others are looking as well. God bless you. Hey, in just a moment, we're going to stand to our feet. I'm going to encourage you to come forward. We just want to pray for you, help you along in your walk with Jesus. I'm not going to embarrass you, but really encourage you. Listen, Jesus died publicly for you, so I'm going to encourage you this morning to come. God may be calling you to join this church family as well. You be obedient. Father, we give you the invitation. Pray for those who've received you. God, I pray that you would use them in the days ahead for your purpose. God, I pray for them now that you'd give them courage to come and to make their decision public. And we'll give you glory for that. We also pray for those who need to partner with this church as members and really link arms with us and help us make disciples everywhere. We'll give you glory for it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. While we sing, you come God this morning.